0: with concaf podcast welcome to the news desk i'm eric schmitz
1: i'm jonathan slape i'm donald wine
0: and we're here to talk about everything that's been going on in calf first off thank you to all of our patrons every single one of you for supporting our podcast you can support us as well patreon.com slash podcast, where you can also hear our bonus episodes one more round uh Get other behind the scenes stuff. We'll send pictures from all the trips we're taking. It's a lot of fun stuff. But also you help and, this happen.
1: And Eric, it sounds like for our patrons that we're gonna get soon the capability to link our patron uh podcast episodes to Spotify.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you'll be able to and then be able to populate it from there. So it'll be easier. You won't have to all you know, always log in to see what's going on. You may just come straight to you if you are a patron. So make it easy on yourself. Yeah. Sign up. You can we'll make it easy little, for you, hopefully.
0: You can get those little notifications on your phone. New episode. One more round. It's like, ooh, I can't wait to find out what they were talking about.
1: Some junk. It's probably some junk. But it's fun junk.
0: It's calf junk. It's yeah, it's
2: always, it's always junk. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, obviously a big summer in soccer. The Women's World Cup still going on. Uh, we're going to recap everything that happened as far as COCAF goes in that tournament because it deserves our attention. But first, we have important stuff to talk about. The Caribbean Club Shield just completed, and we got to give you all the details. First off, so what is the Caribbean Club Shield? The Caribbean Club Shield is actually a qualifying competition for the Caribbean Cup, which in itself is a qualifying competition. For the CONCACAF Champions Cup, which used to be CONCACAF Champions League because nothing can ever stay the same in this confederation. Just keep changing everything. So this Caribbean Club Shield, again, qualifies you for this other tournament, which is actually about to start in like two weeks from right now. now. This is August 14th, we're recording. And two teams from... Well, let's just say it's the collection of islands that participate in this club shield. We've can got I, teams from our Can I say can Go I ahead. say
1: real quick though before we get into the teams? When you when you all out there find out that yes, there is a Caribbean club shield and that it exists, and you kind of look it up, this is a real team fake team tournament. This is the <laughs> biggest real team fake team tournament <laughs> in history because all these team names are spectacular. And half of them, you're just like you will read them and be like, "Yo, this can't be real. This is what these guys were talking about. None of these, none of these teams are real." Robin Hood, Robin Hood won the tournament. <laughs> Yo,
0: know, you're you're spoiling this thing. But anyways, you got <laughs> you got teams from all over the Caribbean: Aruba, Cayman Islands, Curacao, Dominica, Dominican Republic, French Guiana, Guadeloupe, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Saint Kitts and Nevis, Saint Lucia, Saint Martin. Suriname, Trinidad, Tobago, Turks, Caicos, all of their champions go into this. This is like the Champions League of the Caribbean, really. And what's up for grabs is two spots in the Caribbean Cup. Now, what they did is they did a group stage, and then they went to a knockout where once they got to the semifinals, the two semifinal winners automatically qualified. And then they still had a championship in a third-place game that didn't really – do much anything just because because we're here so the semifinals. now the other important note is you know how like big this competition is they held the entire thing they hosted the entire thing in St. Kitts and Nevis the SKN, SKNFA Technical Center was the host site of the finals final rounds and between that and the Warner Park Sporting complex, all of the games were in St. Kitts and Nevis. So, next time we got to be a little more alert and try to get ourselves down there for like two weeks of Caribbean club soccer in a beautiful tropical destination.
2: I mean, I say this as someone who's a lifelong Club Sando and SWA Sharks fan (laughs) that we got to get down there.
0: Yes, for sure. So, your four semifinalists were Robin Hood of Suriname, Metropolitan of Cuba, uh, Club Sando of Trinidad and Tobago, and Golden Lion of Martinique. Yes, all real teams. This is not real team faking. This is all real teams. Uh, Robin Hood got the big 5-0 win over Metropolitan, and Golden Lion snuck out a 2-1 win over Club Sando. Both of them advanced to the CONCACAF Caribbean Cup, and... In the final, Robin Hood defeated Golden Lion 5 1 to lift the Caribbean club shield. Now, great for soccer in Suriname, great for soccer in Martinique. They're going on to this bigger competition. Unfortunately, with all these changes, you don't get as much intermingling of club teams between countries anymore. Uh, The Caribbean Cup field, half Jamaican teams, Couple teams from Trinidad and Tobago, a bunch of teams from Dominican Republic. It's not as diverse as it used to be, but still a very important competition. The story that I think we need to take from the Caribbean Shield is OMFC, which if you follow us on social media, you might have seen. So OMFC is based out of the Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic and St. Kitts and Nevis. Are separate islands. You know, you have to fly planes to get back and forth. Apparently, the only flights to go between the islands are Tuesdays and Saturdays. So, O&MFC plays their last group stage game. They finished third in Group C. They play their last group stage game on Tuesday, August eighth. Sucks. Next flight out Saturday, so they're waiting around. Get to the airport Saturday. Their flight gets canceled. They get stranded in Saint Kitts and Nevis, and apparently, I don't know if you guys saw the follow up to this. The they clashed with the police at the airport, and a couple guys got like pepper sprayed and stuff. Only in like I don't. We're recording this on Monday. We are not sure if they're getting off the island. We that's look, still to
1: be determined. Look, it's very clear that nobody on that team listens to this show. Because if they listened to this show, we would have told them that this was going to happen. Because it happened to us in in March. They didn't listen. They didn't in, heed our
0: lessons. In in their defense, it seems that it's a different airline. It's not. It's not the same infliction that we faced. But still, as is life in the Caribbean, sometimes you just get stuck on the island. Can't go anywhere.
1: Ain't no one coming they, to pick you, you up. You couldn't rent a boat. We tr- you know, we tried that, we tried the boat, the, the charter flight technique. None of that works either. So sometimes you just gotta buy multiple flights and multiple airlines. Or just be <laughs> like, you know what? I, I was waiting for one of those players to be like, Look, guys, you're on your own. I'm I'm getting out of here. And I got to seat on you know, this plane. I don't know where we're going, but it ain't gonna be here. Like, figure out a way to get to another island or to like the United States or something so that they can get home. Yeah. But
0: it's, That's about what a 500, I would it's about a 500-mile distance between the two countries. Right. So, about an hour flight, which is a long haul for the Caribbean, you know. So, Godspeed to ONMFC. Uh, we're rooting for you. All right. Now, on to the women's game. The Women's World Cup, uh, still going on, but CONCACAF has completed their play. So, as far as we're concerned, the thing is over um lots of big stories to take out of this tournament uh we'll kind of just run through group by group uh the CONCACAF teams and how they performed uh group B leading off big shocker Canada failing to advance to the knockout stage finishing third in group B with one win one draw one loss on four points Costa Rica finishing dead last in group C on zero points Haiti, finishing dead last in Group D on zero points, although they played pretty well. In Group E, you had the United States advance to the knockout stage in second place, which was big drama, uh, with one win, two draws, and five points. Uh, In Group F, Jamaica, the Reggae Girls, huge results, finishing second place in Group F, advancing to the knockout stage for the first time. On one win, two draws and five points. And also in that group, Panama, finishing last with three losses and zero points. So we had six cocky calf teams in the tournament to get through to the knockout stage. Both fall in the round of 16, the U.S. falling in penalty kicks. In Jamaica, um, Jamaica also not advancing to the quarterfinals as well. Uh, Jonathan, what's your big takeaway from the Women's World Cup for CONCACAF? Um, I I, there's a there's a few
2: takeaways, and like I'm gonna steer away from the obvious stuff with the U.S. national team. Yeah, we'll talk we'll Uh, talk
0: the U.S. later. Let's let's talk. But I would say,
2: and I'm gonna give to I think Panama while they did not win a game, Mm -hmm. um, on the last day they did. They went up on France. Um, they were scored the first goal. I mean, they lost three, six to France, but um, for Panama to do that um, away, f- like, you know, for the first time in the world cup, that's pretty impressive. And I think the other thing is um, I know a lot was made about Canada, not advancing Christine Sinclair, her career, her, you know, national team career comes to an end. Um, and i really think they lost that i mean a lot was made about the the 4-0 loss um to australia but i honestly think that you know, that came down to where they lost that was the 0-0 draw against canada i mean against nigeria um opening up the tournament without getting a result against nigeria the nigeria team that um, you know advanced the knockout rounds and played pretty well but it's still uh you know for a powerhouse like canada um, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, and they're probably the story of the tournament is all of the big teams
1: that went out early. Yeah. Down about you? I think you got to look at Jamaica. They're the first Caribbean team to make it to the knockout stage of World Cup. Congratulations to them. They played extraordinary in a group that many consider one of the strongest groups, if not the strongest group of the World Cup. They qualified for the round 16. They beat out Brazil uh to get there. And yes, they beat out Panama who I, I, Jonathan, I agree, they showed out well. If you remember after that game, uh, they had just lost 6-3, to three, but they were still partying in the stands for <laughs> an hour after the game because they're like, yo, we're here. We we went up against a te- one of the best teams in the world in France. We dropped three on them. Yeah, they dropped six on us, but they were supposed to do that. And I think that's, yeah. that's, that's the beauty of this World Cup is you had a lot of teams making their debut, and while they may not have advanced, they did really well doing it. But I think Jamaica... Of the Concacaf teams, there's obviously a lot of storylines here, but those was the most positive storyline. Them getting to the round sixteen the way they did, doing it for two games without Bunny Shaw, um, who got a red card in the first game and had to sit out the second game. Uh, you know, she is, is if you've seen her play, she's just lethal when she has the ball. So for them to be able to qualify out of that group without their best player and get to the round sixteen, and really, I mean, against Colombia, they had a chance to win it. Like they had a chance to. Sent its extra time. They had chances to win it. They just came up short. And, you know, Lauren Donaldson, their coach, um, who has some American ties, uh, but obviously is is Jamaican, he, you know, he had a great game plan in each game to make sure that this team maximized what it could do. And, you know, the future is bright for Jamaica. I think they showed a lot of, you know, of poise. And they obviously earned a lot of respect around the world with their play.
0: Yeah, uh, we didn't even mention. We talked about Panama going up on France. Didn't even mention the fact that goal is an absolute banger. Yes, Cox, maybe one of the goals of the tournament. Um, to do that against France, absolutely great for not only just for Panama but for the regions like to see that individual skill. Um, but yeah, Jamaica going through that group with France and Brazil and going unbeaten, uh, getting. Out of that group without a loss, really, really great. But for me, Haiti they ended up with zero points, but they probably got the Raw's deal out of as far as like the point to performance ratio. Um, they lose one zero to England in the opening match on a penalty, they lose one zero to China in the second match. On a penalty, and then in a game that was really a must-win, uh, they go down one nothing to Denmark on a penalty, and then the only goal from open play was a ninety-plus ten, you know, insurance goal in that match. And obviously, talking about again individual talent, I thought you saw that from Haiti, and you saw that from Panama, and it makes you feel good about where the future of CONCACAF is with the women's game because 32 teams made this tournament. Six of them were from CONCACAF. Like the men's tournament will never get that kind of ratio. um, At least not for the time being, just because like CONCACAF's confederation is not looked upon in that way. Like they don't have the opportunity to get that much representation. Um, And it's just, good to see that many countries getting a chance to say hey we made the world cup and it's good for the women's game to see haiti and panama and costa rica getting to like follow the tournament because you know with all that individual talent up top all you need is to, to grow the depth you need to grow the pool and i think this is going to be very good for doing that
2: yeah i i want to say before we you know in talking anything around the u.s is i think as a whole this world cup Uh, We saw a lot of, you know, the big teams fail to even make it out of the round of, I mean, out of the group stage, you know, Germany didn't make it, Italy, uh, Brazil, Canada. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of other, some other big teams go out early and I think it's great for the fact that, um, you know, the women's game for a long time has been dominated by the United States. Um, and then and a select few European teams. And so it's great to see, um, you know, it's go- like great to see a lot of these newer countries making runs because I think it goes a long way to showing federations that if they take the women's game seriously and put in the resources that the game deserves, um, you know, you can get great results from that. And so I think that um, it'll go a long
1: way. Um, you know, there's a good chance we see someone win it for the first time. So And keep in mind, in the case of Canada, they have been dealing with their own kind of pay dispute. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about how Canada soccer is just a mess, uh, to put it lightly. And they've had to deal with that even all the way up to preparation for this tournament. And, you know, getting, you know, I don't even think they even had a lot of games to prepare for this tournament. They didn't play a friendly until they got over to Australia. So, I'm sorry, they played, they had one, you know, like kind of unofficial friendly before they went over. But them it it sounded like they were distracted a little bit by all of that and just how their preparation for this just wasn't the same and they've been having to deal with that and just all these different issues. We we had Jamaica who had not one but two GoFundMes to get to the Women's World Cup and see how they performed. They performed brilliantly in the face of that. Haiti had their issues getting to the women's World Cup Panama had their issues getting to Women's World Cup and that's just this Confederation there are other teams that had their issues in, in raising funds or just other you know pay disputes things like that being able to watch the games you know a lot of these countries didn't have TV deals so that these players could get their shine that they deserve and be on on TV when they uh took the field so there was a lot of issues. That led up to some of the preparation for some of these teams for World Cup. So, you know, hats off to not just, you know, the teams I mentioned, but all the teams for really being able to grind it out and perform. This has been the most competitive women's World Cup we've ever had. And, you know, people were worried that when they expanded to 32 teams, you'd get a lot of debutantes that weren't ready for the bright lights. All these teams show- that showed up, no one got really blown out, right? Like Vietnam was dead last, but it's not like Vietnam got blown out except for the last game there wasn't a lot a lot of blowouts there's a lot of competitive games a lot of upsets as you mentioned, as you both mentioned some of the big teams were eliminated early and so you kind of see how this game you know needs to have the shine it deserves and and the, for for these teams to be able to in spite of all of the issues be able to put that kind of performance on the table for the world to see is is tremendous um and i think that's that's one of the best things to come out of this World Cup is the number of standout performances from teams that you may not have heard of. Now, I do want to clarify, just
0: just be on the record. It is funny that Canada didn't make it out of the group stage, right? Oh, yeah, we laughed. Yeah, we yeah. laughed. Yes, I we enjoyed it, personally. But <laughs> on, the, on the greater whole, I think it's very important that, that Canada didn't make it to the knockout especially in light of the u.s not making it out of the round of 16 so the u.s technically still the, the best performing uh team in the tournament let's kind of touch on that because as much as there's been talk obviously we, we got stuff to stay but just in general i'll put it to the group do we feel that this is just kind of like this will happen or is this a sign of issues
2: um donald you seem like you have something to say i'll let you go first
1: yeah let me start with this because this is the state of the program the women's u.s national team before the world cup the team had entered They were the two time defending world cup champs. They'd won two in a row. They had been to three straight finals and they lost that third final on penalties. Right? So they're really going on an operation where they've been to three straight finals and they've played a lot of games since then against a lot of great teams. And the bare minimum for them was to do something that no team men or women had ever done. Go to four straight finals and win three in a row. No team has ever done that. And so, it's kind of it's kind of hard right to kind of say like man they really severely underperformed because in theory they were not supposed to be in this position. they were not supposed to win in 2019. In 2015 was real I mean 2019 they they dominated but entering the tournament everyone we kept saying, oh you know they're everyone's caught up to them the world's caught up this whole narrative and I can talk for days about how that narrative is stupid um but the actuality is this this team had the tall task of doing something that no one had ever done and they fell short but they were supposed to fall short because there's a reason why no one has ever won three in a row because it's fucking hard to do
2: yeah right (laughs) and they were going to do something no team had ever done before with a lot of new faces Uh, i think it's the other the other thing too like i mean we look at any great dynasty in men's or women's soccer, like there's always the time where there is some level of reloading and retooling. Um, a lot of people thought that the last Olympics should have been that time where we saw a lot of people, you know, phased out and a lot of new faces come in. But the U.S. was then trying to do another and in- possible task where they were trying to be the first team to be the both the World Cup winners and the holders of the of a Olympic gold medal. And so, you know, Vlatko went with a uh, a team that he thought gave him the best chance to do that there. Of course, there's weird things with uh,
1: rosters in World Cup, but well, they were trying uh, to I they mean- were trying to be the first one to win it 20, back to back because in 2015, they had held the 2012 gold medal and yeah. they had. 2015 but they're yeah, no trying to be it. the no first one back, back to back. back yeah
2: and so yeah there was always there there was always going to be there was always going to be a time where they came up short and they're in the like you said the impossible situation of anything less than winning was falling short um and so now do I think there were things that the coach could have done to prevent the, a lot of this stuff that happened? Yes. And I think he's, you know, at the forefront of a lot of the team's issues during the tournament, but um they were being held to an impossible standard. Yeah.
1: I also think I did- this, if I, if I may, cause I was, I was at the game against Sweden, obviously, and well, where we were we lost them penalties and I as is tough a tournament as this was for the United States. That was, Literally, again, in a a sea of them trying to do the impossible, the impossible, the near impossible happened, right? A trillion scenarios for that game. And no one could have imagined this particular scenario that did happen. The U.S. dominated that game. The U.S. had 15 more shots than Sweden. Four of them hit the post. Two of them hit the post an extra time. The opposing keeper had 11 saves in regulation. They dominate extra time. They have, again, four more chances to win. Two of them hit the post. Another, you know, a couple of miraculous saves by the opposing keeper. They get to penalties. They have one hit the post. They have two people sky it. They still, the the opposing keeper who, again, had 13 saves to this point, did not stop a single shot in penalties our keeper not only stopped one, but became the first keeper men or women ever in a world cup to make a penalty. And we lost the game. Like that is like that's just, that's just soccer guys. Like, like there's yeah. no possible way that anyone could dream that up and say, putting all those stats on the table, everything skewing so far towards one team that that team ends up being the losing team on penalties. Again, where the opposing team does not stop a penalty. Like, We had two chances to win it in penalties and two chances where one kick and it's over with, and we didn't get it done. And it's, it's just that sometimes just the ball doesn't roll the way you want it to. And that's what was most heartbreaking about it is that, Hey, we, we didn't play up to our standards leading up to that game, but we did in that game against a team that's really good. I mean, Sweden's number three in the world and for them to do all that and still come up short, like that's where it again becomes now it's like, Oh, these, these, they came up short. They failed. They did all this, but yeah, they did it. They did all that against a great team and they still lost. That's just sometimes how soccer works. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the best team on the day doesn't win. And as bad as we had played in that tournament, at least by American standards, they played super well in that game. And they, and that's the one they end up losing. Yeah. And I think that's what the interesting thing to me is that like, you can look at all these micro level,
0: things like how well they played in that knockout game and you can look at on the other side that Portugal game like they are a few inches away from from going getting, home yep. going home and I mean just looking at at the highest possible level like they beat Vietnam three nothing a game they probably should have buried more like that was the first it's like you know, I don't really feel great about that performance. They never led at any point in the rest of the tournament. And
1: – And you only scored they one more a, goal.
0: They only scored one goal, but, like, they never led. Like, they never got on the front foot and, like, had to defend. it was all, like, games – it was all battling. And at no point did you ever look at them and be like, oh, they look like they are going to, you know, take this game and, like, run away with it. You never saw that. And um, I think some of that comes down to coaching. Obviously, we would assume that there will be a change based on the results because round of 16 is not acceptable for this program. Um, but yeah, and time, the minutes management, you can complain about, you can complain about the tactics. It's like you knew at some point. Like, they weren't going to win. There was going to be a tournament where the team did not win. And the way this happened, like, it just seems so unsettling. because, like, you almost wonder. It's like, did they really have enough, or did we just never get to see it?
1: Right. And, yeah, you could break – and obviously we can analyze and overanalyze this particular team because this obviously is – three of us, this is our team, and we can – we we've been ingrained in how this team has formed over the last four years. Right. And even like you mentioned, yeah, uh, Jonathan, like, you know, in the Olympics, there was times where there were some signs where people go, Hey, maybe we should be making some tactical changes, some personnel changes. And and a lot of them didn't happen. We didn't had, you know, COVID, which kind of took everything out, or at least COVID was before the Olympics. Then after the Olympics, we had a whole year where we lost half the team due to injury Some of those players that we were relying on didn't come back, so then we had to try and train players to play like them, but they can't be them. It's a lot going on, and it does start at the top. It starts with you know the coach, the the GM, and all that, and just how this has been brewing. But also, it's it's it. This is as close to 2017 for the men as the women have ever gotten. Right, like this is the worst performance that they have had in any major tournament. They've never not gotten to the quarterfinals of the Olympics. They've never not gotten to the semifinals of the World Cup before now. And this is kind of not necessarily a re- complete reset like it was for the men after 20, after the 2018 uh, or 2017 debacle. It's not a complete hard reset where, like, blow it up and start over. But it is more of a, hey, we need to – do a real thorough evaluation of where we're at and how if what we're doing needs to change. And and the answer is, yes, it does. But identifying where we're falling short, whether it be from the development of some of these younger players to again, evaluating the NWSL, things like that, where things aren't dire, but definitely we're in, you know, even, you know, just like in college football, even Alabama, doesn't win the national championship every year. And every time they don't, they kind of say, yo, we got to figure out what, how to get back to this point. This yeah. is where we're at.
0: Yeah. And I, I know you referenced the men in 2017, you know, how it was like kind of used, um, kind of used that as an opportunity to kind of reset. But it's like, looking at the women in the pool and some of these players coming up. It's like, yes, the children are the future. Like you need to go with the kids and let the kids cook. And between the Olympics coming up, and this kind of runway you have before the next world cup it's like you know you need a reset so kind of just dive in let the kids get the experience go play as many games you can get them as many minutes as you can and you have the olympics in a year
1: right like the 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 weirdness of this cycle is that you know the women have two major major tournaments and they're you know year apart so they should be thinking now of hey for the Olympics where you have fewer players on the roster, which I mean, for yeah. for Blacko didn't matter because he was arguing for twenty six players and he barely played, you know, played all fourteen all this, of them, mm-hmm. yeah, fourteen of them in a game. So it, it's it's you have to again have all these valuations about which players. You know, we had some you know pretty old players. I know some have made that decision for themselves. Like Megan Rapino is, is going to be retiring at the end of the year. She'll probably get a send off of some sort and then she's out of the national team picture julie Ertz, very emotional after the game said that that was her final game um it remains to be seen like if you know that was made out of emotion or if she you know if she maybe gets a send-off or if she really is completely done with the national team you have so many other players that are household names that everyone loves they are legends of the game the questions now have to be, hey, do we start phasing them out? When do we start phasing them out? Is it do we give them one more run for the Olympics or do we use this next year, Eric, as you said, as a time to start integrating some of the younger talent saying, hey, the future of our team is right now and we need to bring them up and get them involved and get some of these players who didn't make the team into the fold as well. Some of the injured players, Katarina Macario is out there Mel Swanson, when she gets you know better, you know, me official who just moved to Chelsea. Like, do we get these players back into the into the groove and say, "Hey, this is your team now. Take it and and, and gel together," or do you use this Olympic run, uh, this Olympics next year, is kind of a say, "Hey, like one, let's try and make it one more last run with some of these players before we, before they, you know, in, you know, and in, go into the sunset."
2: Yeah. Hashtag yeah. play the kids.
1: Yeah.
0: I think I think we all want to play the kids as much as we can. Uh, before we move on from the World Cup, Donald, you're back. You went. Mm-hmm. What What's your big takeaway? Well, what What do you want to share about uh, your trip? What was What was the best thing that happened to you? Or oh, do we
2: tease this for one more round?
0: I mean, I mean <laughs> give, give the public something, and then we'll get the nitty gritty. Okay. Uh,
1: well, I will say for the public, I will say, you know, i had been to Australia before um and love Australia. Melbourne is a top five city in the world to me, and it is not five um you know, being there, like again, game notwithstanding had an excellent time. New Zealand was fantastic. The people in New Zealand were fantastic. the the fact that they embraced, and it's funny because everyone talks about how Australia has embraced this particular tournament, New Zealand did as well. Um, and yeah, there may be games where you know people turn on the TV and say, Oh, there's not people the games, but everywhere you went in Auckland and in Wellington, people could watch the game, people could talk about the game. People understood they said that the uh, it's a very expat city, Auckland is. They said the biggest expat population was American, uh, because of all the American accents that they were hearing from all the Americans that 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 went for the games, but. I highly recommend it was a bucket list country for me to visit. And so glad I got out to New Zealand to visit. I want to go back because I didn't get to see all of it that I wanted to. But man, it was just a great time. Um, Great, great, great people. Great culture, great country. And highly recommend if any of you get a chance to get to that side of the world, which I know is very difficult for us to do. Make a stop in Auckland, Wellington, go to South Island drink all the wine. Um, The wine was fantastic. Not a lot of rum. Um, They did have gin, Um, but yeah, it it was great. So I'll save the rest for one more round, but I was for the public. New Zealand was absolutely fantastic. Australia was fantastic. Could not thank them enough for their hospitality.
0: Love it. Uh, And before we get to one more round, just to kind of wrap up here on what's next for CONCACAF and the women's game. Uh, The next big thing is September, Canada and Jamaica do the Olympic play-in. They're going to play a home-and-home two-leg series. Uh, The winner gets into the 2024 Olympics and qualifies automatically for the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, which will be taking place in February and March of 2024. Uh, After this play-in, the loser has to go to the road to Concacaf W Gold Cup. That's going to be starting in September. Uh Got some group play. The first Concacaf W Gold Cup will be taking place starting in February and it'll be teams that qualify out of this and four teams from ConMobile. Uh, really excited for that. We'll have more coverage of that when it comes, but canada jamaica i mean must be nice for canada to just get that trip down to jamaica guaranteed Uh, but also i think for
1: i think for jamaica this is again a chance to kind of build off of their successes right like Mm -hmm. before when this has happened everyone's like oh well that's you know canada is just delaying the inevitable They're they finished second to the united states in the at the w championship this is just a formality. But now when you look at the results of both teams in the world cup, you go, Oh, Jamaica might be the hot team and clearly won't be afraid of Canada. And will have the tools to beat Canada. So um, they have all their players healthy. Who knows? And, And with Canada, again, that looming pay dispute situation has rendered their preparation very, very rugged. And so that's going to be an issue. Will they get a camp before? this the answer is probably no um will they be able to get all their players and even with their players will they be fighting their federation as they try to play that's a bad position to be in we know because our team has been in it for a long time they've they've been able to you know moxie through it but not every team can do that so that's a big question entering this particular uh two-legged uh race yep and again
0: that's coming up in september uh, I believe it's 22nd and the 26th will be the two legs uh, in that FIFA women's international window. So we'll wrap it up right here. Again, you can follow us uh social media at podcacaf, P-O-D, Uh C-O-C-A-F. We'll be starting our one more round episode once we finish wrapping this one. That one will be available on our Patreon, which you can subscribe to at patreon.com slash uh support the podcast help us you know keep keep the lights on pretty much for the world of CONCACAF uh for Jonathan for Donald I'm Eric we'll talk to you again soon